you're looking for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Recording, hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 136. What's going on, Neil? <laughs> you tell me, man. Goodness <laughs> just gracious. just knocked your bourbon over, you man. just knocked my bourbon. You knocked my Blanton's I over. I know it. So we- we're having Blanton's today. Pulled out, a, pulled out a top shelf bourbon, and the first thing I did was knock yours over. <laughs> man. <laughs> well, we, we can blame it on the new setup, man. Yeah, so we got the new booms going. They uh, look nice, don't they? I love it. I feel, I Shame feel like you guys uh, can't see them, but they they look nice. You might have to start doing this uh, on video, just to, just because we got Maybe new so. bands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> man, we got another great guest with us tonight. Oh, we yeah. got Jacob Head with us. Welcome, Jacob. Hey guys, what's up, Jacob? Glad Thanks for coming in, here. man. Yeah, glad to be here. You said yeah. tonight, like it's not eleven a.m. I'm used to doing it at night. <laughs> yeah, but it is 11 a.m. recording time, so we're having a a brunch bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast bourbon, as I like to call it. Keep well, it. I know, Jacob, you're not uh, partaking, but cheers anyway. Hey, cheers, guys. Cheers, 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 Jacob. Thanks for coming up, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. So, Jacob, why don't you start us off? Why don't you take us back to childhood and talk about your early memories of music? Absolutely. So, um, I play a lot of different instruments, but a lot of people are surprised to find out that the uh, the first instrument, I, the first, I guess, real instrument I picked up was the drum set. <laughs> and uh, my dad's a drummer. He played in high school. He still plays with us uh, out at our church every weekend where I lead worship and uh, still plays the actual set of drums that I got when I was five years old for Christmas. So, oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah. But my parents got tired of me beating on pots and pans and uh, decided to get me a real set of drums. Wasn't like your uh, your first act set of drums or whatever. I'm not even sure yeah. they had those back then. Uh, this would have been back in 96. Uh, yeah. So... But that was kind of where I where I started growing up in the church. I've, I was always kind of around music, um, and I got into uh, fourth grade, switched out of private school to public school, and and uh, decided to take uh, start with violin. So that was at Indian Trail Elementary out in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think they're actually they just tore the building the old building down now. So, but uh, I had about an hour twice a or a half hour twice a week, an hour a week. And uh, then I got into middle school, no middle school downtown, uh, Ron Davidson, great orchestra director. <laughs> man, that's, and, that's uh, a lifelong guy of mine right there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Ron and, Davidson. Uh, I didn't realize he taught orchestra in school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, was a, yeah. he was a teacher for years, but his okay. son, Matt, and I grew up together. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, obviously, uh, Luke, his other son, um, taught me lessons for a little bit when I was in middle school. But uh, those three years, really, you get an hour a day. 
as your, um, I think what they called the related arts back then. Yeah. And uh, so that really advanced my playing a lot. And around that time, I, I, I would come home and I had a keyboard. I forget uh, exactly what age I got the keyboard. I think I've always kind of had some musical instruments of some sort laying around and um, decided to start picking out what I heard in orchestra on the keyboard and kind of started teaching myself this foundation of what music is, about how chords are laid out, about how notes are laid out. Everybody uh, says, oh, well, I don't know music theory. I hate music theory, or it doesn't make sense to me. And to me, that's just part of the language. That's just, you know, it's, yeah, you can play by ear, but understanding how all those notes go together, it's just, I don't know. It's kind of hard to separate one element from another for me, but... Yeah, you can't totally avoid theory. I mean, you know, there's, that's that's somewhere in Dude, your learning. Some, some yeah. pe- well, some people can avoid calling it theory. Yeah, I'm calling it theory, yeah. Because they don't know that they know theory. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, they understand that, you know, if you start to uh, write a song in the key of A, although they may have no idea that they're playing A or what the key of A is. Example, Jeff. I mean, Jeff Donahue... Man next door, uh, phenomenal guitar player. But if you're like, hey, playing A minor, he couldn't play it. Yeah. But if you strummed it one time, he could play everything in the key of A minor, know where it's going to go, and then things like that. So he knows theory without being able to speak a word of it. Yeah, and it's amazing how people's brains work. I, I'm teaching now, and I've got um, about twenty to twenty three students right now. That always fluctuating with people Jeez. coming and going, and <laughs> it's everybody is different. And, you know, it's also challenging to teach a bunch of different instruments, but it'll so be... You're teaching nearly every day then, it yeah, sounds like. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So, yeah, going back to, to middle school, you know, from there, once I started understanding, like, you're talking about chords like A minor, you know, A minor is A, C, E. I didn't realize at the time what, you know, I, I feel like in, in public school, they teach us a lot. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, just sort of like multiplication facts or whatever. You just commit them to memory and you don't always know, not that you've... You probably know how numbers work by the time you get to multiplication, but sometimes you don't always understand like, okay, if a key signature has X number of sharps or X number of flats, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And once that started kind of clicking in, but when I first started, I would just be writing out, I'd be writing my songs or whatever and write A-C-E because I know those were the notes I was going to use and then C-E-G for a C chord or something like that, not realizing how they all fit together in like mm-hmm. a one four five or something like that. Um but from there, I just, I guess I'm probably around getting into high school. I went to uh, Atherton High School. Okay. Um, Mr. Davidson said that uh, I didn't get into until youth performing arts, which was kind of the ideal thing. No middle school at the time was kind of I mean, the, that's the feeder program. Yeah. yeah. It went, yeah. went straight over to the performing arts uh, right, right across the road to, to manual and bypass, and didn't get in there. And uh, it was kind of a blessing in disguise, but I ended up going to Atherton um, because Ron said he was going to be there for. A while, and then the next year he uh, he left to go into ministry full time at, at <laughs> Fairdale Christian Fairdale. Church right down the road. <laughs> um, so I ended up with with Nelson Doherty, who was a great director, and actually had the opportunity to um, get into. I, I heard the chamber singers once when I was there my freshman year. I'd never been interested in choir; that wasn't really my thing. And uh, I was I was just captivated by their sound, just being you know the acapella. At that time, Mr. Steve Lynn was the director at Atherton; had been there for. I guess 31 years at that point. And I said, man, I got to get in that choir. So sophomore year, I got into concert choir. Um, big 55-person choir, I think. Met a lot of, of cool people who ended up being you know, friends that I still talk to every now and then today. And then my junior and senior year, um, I was able to split chamber singers and orchestra, same period. So that was the mm. thing I had to figure out was, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get in this choir. It meets the same time as orchestra. Um, but I'm they... Uh, were nice enough to to let me split that 
and Sweet. being choir one day and orchestra the next. And so I got to be there for, for Mr. Lenz last year. That's awesome. And I also got to be concert master at Atherton my senior year. So all, all the time, you know, going around picking up other skills. Um, I guess my freshman year, I, I kind of picked up the guitar. And once I figured out on piano, okay, these notes make up these chords. Then it's just a matter of figuring out, okay, what's the easiest way to find these notes given this tuning of the strings on guitar? Um, and that's kind of when I started teaching myself guitar and then other instruments, mandolin, ukulele, just sort of follow mm -hmm. naturally once you've got a few under your belt. So That's interesting. You started with drums and mm -hmm. ended up primarily strings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It usually doesn't happen, does it? No, it's, uh, it seems like... Uh, like ah, especially, much. especially you know, going to um, orchestra and violin at a young age because, I mean, you know, kids love drums. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Yeah. And I remember, I remember going from, from fifth to sixth, you know, going from Indian Trail, um, two years being in a public school after being in a private school prior to that, um, and, and going to no middle and deciding, okay, do I want to be in band? Do I want to do drums? And, you know, or do I want to be in orchestra and do violin? And I, I remember that being a question. Now it seems like a no-brainer. Not that I, you know, had I went the other way and, and been a band kid, who knows where I would have, you know, went with my career after that. There's no telling. But, um, you know, now that doesn't seem like it would have even been a question in my life, yeah. considering what my love is and how I am a musician today. But I think that, you know, and there was also kind of a, a debate when I first started strings of, do I want to learn guitar? Because that's the popular instrument, you know, that's the instrument that you see in almost any type of music. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there's a lot of instruments that you see, you know, you see violin. I played violin for hip hop and rap artists too, you know, and, yeah. and cut tracks for them on that. But um, I think that, you know, that's kind of the instrument that a lot of uh, people are drawn to at a young age because they see it. It's kind of the that and piano are, are pushed a lot in, in yeah, for um, sure. private lessons and things. And uh, Mr. Jim Smoke, I don't know if you know Jim. He's a banjo player. Um, still actually teaches, but he used to play for the Cumberlands, wrote a song for the Dixie Chicks. He was our worship leader at the church we went to at the time. And uh, he said, start him on violin because it's easier on your fingers. It's not quite so... Um, you know, discouraging to you know, a lot of kids. I, I'll tell them, you know, you're going to have soreness and, and a little bit of discomfort no matter what instrument you start with. Oh, yeah. Um, but the guitar can be a lot tougher on, you know, a little small guy like Especially me. You know? acoustic. You yeah. Know. So he started, or he suggested and recommended start me on violin. And so that was the direction I went and ended up covering, covering guitar bass later on about, I guess, four or five years later. So, so I got to ask, man, go were, were you at Atherton during the Jack Harlow years? I was not, no. <laughs> I, I graduated in 2009, um, so I believe that would have been a little before, before yeah, him. Yeah. yeah. But I, I keep up with, you know, all the social media stuff and um, a lot of people who were kind of, you know, you leave a school and you have the people that were, um, you know, freshmen or sophomores when you leave and they're seniors when some of these people come in. So you kind of have those, you know, a lot of people that have that overlap. Um but no, I, I wasn't there during it's that. Fun, fun to go back and watch those old videos of him in high school, you know, walking the halls of Atherton High School, you know, rapping. and mm. <laughs> It's pretty uh, pretty fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's always neat to look back at artists before they were big. You know, you look at videos of, of Billy Strings and, you know, other bluegrass artists and... Um, Sitting in a yeah. freaking cracked in basement. Yeah, sitting out at a campfire playing or whatever. And... Um, 
you know. <laughs> That's a great video of uh, Dust in a Baggy when they're in that yeah, basement and they're, they're trying to get him to write, play that song you just play wrote. That song, man. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I found out that song was written about his, one of his dad's good friends. Oh, really? Yeah. He wrote that song about one of his dad's good friends who obviously had an issue yeah. and was in jail all the time. But yeah. That's, if uh, I remember the video right, he's like, ah, I just played, I've only played it a couple times, you know? And then, and then he, of course, he tears it up. And his little buddy, <laughs> his little buddy in the back dancing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I guess, like, what kind of caught my attention when you started talking about the, the theory stuff, because I'm, I do, I dabble in theory. I know I know theory and I'm trying to get really, really uh, into the details of uh, theory. But when you, when it caught your attention to kind of start breaking down music in, in those ways, you mentioned the keyboard. Um, did, what was it about that instrument in particular that, that helped you get theory? Is it because it's kind of repetitive and simplistic and you can see it in the 12 steps? And is that what it is more than anything? Yeah, absolutely. So I teach over at... Um, Maxwell's House of Music, uh, now Guitar Emporium at Maxwell's House of Music. And uh, I've got a couple students at Mom's, our sister store across the river over here. And one thing I, I, you know, they switched me rooms a few years ago and I said, okay, well, you're switching me out of the piano room because I know you need more piano students. You got more vocal students. You need this space. But I still want a piano or keyboard in my room. Um, and so for a while, I brought in my own personal one from home because I needed to have that as a teaching tool mm -hmm. just because even for my, you know, I know that, there are a lot of things, obviously, that were taught very well to me um, as a violinist, um, being in school, in the classical school system. You know, there were, myself and a lot of my peers were excellent musicians coming through that. But I think, like I said, there are little, there are little gaps that a teacher doesn't have time to, to sit down and explain individually to a class of 30 or 40 string players. Mm -hmm. Because you've got you've to sit in your class and you've got to work on your pieces and you've got to get ready for festivals. Because that's what your, your job is yeah. in there in the performance sense. So um, I think that there are things I like pointing out to my students that were a bit more abstract to me starting out that didn't make, or I guess not didn't make sense. It was just stuff I didn't know that I didn't know. And so having that keyboard to really show, like you said, the the linear relationship between the notes, knowing from a D to an F sharp is this many keys rather than on the violin, it just being, this is where D is, where this tape <laughs> is, is where you put your finger for F sharp. I mean, all that is, is important. I think the violin is, um, in a lot of ways, difficult because of the bow hold, because of, you don't really have, you know, there's less, um, it's less forgiving in some ways mm -hmm. than other instruments that you can just kind of push, push a key down on the piano and get a pleasant sound and yeah. then just figure out how the notes work together. The violin, it's, it's a lot easier to be out of tune. It's yeah. a lot easier for the bow to be crooked and not get a clean um, sound and have a full tone. So um, I think that, that having that keyboard, regardless of if chords you know, you know, violinists, we don't play chords as much as a guitar player or mm -hmm. a piano player or banjo or whatever. But I think understanding how those relationships occur in music is really important. And yeah, for sure. So having having that keyboard there, um, you know, my, I, I, I teach guitar. I've got uh, ukulele, mandolin. Violins kind of was my primary instrument when I started, um, started teaching there in 2016. I think I had four students to start out with no violin. Kidding. And uh, I've still probably got the most violin students, but I've got a couple of guitar students, um, a couple of piano students. I've taught a few voice lessons over there. It's not not my huge forte. I, I love to sing. I feel like I'm a good singer, but teaching is a whole is a whole different mm -hmm. ball game. Um, let's see. 
uh, bass guitar. I've taught. I've got a couple cello students over at Mom's right now. Um, so yeah, so I think you know showing showing them the relationship and the patterns on keyboard is is super important. Um, and it's funny because you know I'll meet people that that's I love teaching people who well, I love teaching all kinds of people. I can't say that I have you know ones that I enjoy more than others so much, but it's always fascinating teaching people that play other instruments either in their school band. I've got you know a couple of band kids that play. Um, euphonium or play percussion or play trumpet. And um, it's really fascinating, you know, even though I know very little about how the trumpet works, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually a very confusing instrument to me, but, you know, hearing how they process playing the violin or process playing piano or um, something like that is always interesting. Or, or someone who comes to me and says, oh, I played piano for eight years, 30 years ago. So uh-huh. it's like, okay, so you obviously spent a significant portion of time on this instrument, but it's been three decades. So what have you retained and how is that going to transfer to what you're playing on this instrument? So yeah, interesting. It's, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. It's very rewarding. And there are times like, there are times when my students have been like, oh, I want to learn this song. And it'll be a song that I either know okay or don't know at all. And then we'll learn it and we'll, we'll dive into it and we'll kind of learn it together. And I'm, you know, I'm humble enough to say, oh, I don't know all these songs in the best way. You know, I don't know some of these modern pop jazz type songs and how to play them on ukulele, but I'll figure out a way yeah. that we can make that happen. And sometimes I'll take those songs. I was like, oh, I like that song and I'll learn it and I'll use it in my solo set when I'm performing out solo at the the farmer's market or one of my gigs. It's just, um, so there's a lot of times I'll learn stuff from teaching. Um, oh, yeah. So I'm... Once I, once I got out of, out of high school, I went into um, University of Louisville as a music education major and ended up switching um, after a few years to a music therapy major. So um, I am a board certified music therapist. I see a couple of clients throughout the week uh, right now and in their homes. But most of my time, ironically, is, is spent teaching. So I don't you know, have necessarily the field experience of being in a classroom, of the classroom management side of things. But after, I guess, six going on seven years um, teaching um, with, you know, individuals, I'm still learning. There's things that you're, I feel like we we always should keep learning. We should always keep moving forward in anything we do, but especially in music. You know, if you're, if you're sitting there and yeah, you can always improve on the same songs over and over, but it's, it's to me, it's, it's all about expanding what I can do, how I can do it better, um, both in contributing to other people's lives through music. And uh, also, you know, I mean, I guess performance can contributes to other people's lives too, because you, you kind of see how that impacts them. But anybody that's any, in any kind of teaching role, it, you know, they, they'll learn the same thing that, you know, you know, you really think, you really think you know something, but you don't realize how deeply you need to know something until you try to teach someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if if you want to teach something to somebody else, you've got to have a real deep understanding uh, of what you're teaching. Well, and then all regardless of what it is, then you get amazed by how much you didn't know when you were the person getting taught. You know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. like I understand that not in teaching senses of of education or even music, but baseball when I was. Uh, coaching baseball and softball yeah. and stuff. Well, it's the same thing, teaching. Yeah. yeah you're just, teaching as a coach. You don't realize what you didn't know. And yeah. you're like, hey, you know, you continue to learn and continue to expand your vocabulary in whatever uh, sense that may be. And I think that's the interesting part about, like you said, about when you get to a certain point, 
you realize that there is no stopping to what you can learn. So then you can turn around and teach that as well. So, yeah. you know, what I look at, I've got a page of notes already and all I can see is ADD. I'm <laughs> 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 just thinking, you know, it's, it's amazing to see the jump from instrument to instrument to instrument and then to have the ability to teach, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different instruments counting vocals. And probably somewhat, I'm, I'm guessing, pretty proficiently. I mean, yeah. I don't think you could teach those instruments unless you were a proficient player. Oh, not not at a well. And a I think that goes back to a little bit earlier this year. I um, one instrument has always kind of been a challenge to me is the five string banjo. Four string banjo, you know, for for those who don't know, four string can be tuned. Tenor banjo is basically tuned kind of like a um, viola or a mandola or like an, a mandolin an octave or fiddle an octave down. So tuned in fists is a little bit easier than than tuned and doing the finger rolls and having your extra fist string like a uh, bluegrass style banjo. And um, I'd been teaching over at Maxwell's, like I said, since 2016. And earlier this year, the music education director over at Moms reached out to me. Of course, she's over at Maxwell's a lot doing bands and things. And she said, hey, I've got a banjo student that wants to sign up. Um, over over at, at Mom's, would you be interested in, in taking your Tuesday evening and doing that? So I moved a couple things around, and it was really interesting meeting with her because she kind of wanted to start up before everything happened with the pandemic, and then um, you know her her schedule got changed, and so she was kind of just getting back into it. She comes in with this beautiful master built banjo. And I've got this this two hundred dollar gold tone AC one <laughs> banjo, which is I love it for what it is. But it's like, man, I feel like you know this is I don't know how this is going to go. But maybe you're going to teach me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. But you know, I found that I found that it's okay to and students actually realize I, that you're human and that there's not you know that big of a gap in some, in some cases. You know, you don't want someone. I always felt like with my lessons. I never really super looked forward to private lessons, so to speak. And while I want my students to get some stuff done, I want them to practice. I want them to improve. I also don't want them to feel, I want there to be a balance between being comfortable and uncomfortable. So if you're always completely comfortable, that means you're never being pushed out of your comfort zone. You're never growing. You're never learning anything mm -hmm. new. But I also don't want them to dread coming to lessons. I want them to feel relaxed and have a good time. And so I think with with this banjo student, I you know she walks in and, uh, there's obviously things that I could do better. And there were things that maybe she understood or, or knew more about banjo tab. And, you know, you, growing up a violinist, I would read standard notation for just about everything. I could understand mm -hmm. tab, but it was much slower to just read yeah. it and play it. Whereas a lot of people that that learn guitar, that learn banjo especially, banjo kind of, tab kind of facilitates itself for banjo a lot more just because of the way your roles, roles work. Yeah. If you're you're looking at standard notation, it's, sometimes harder to understand what it wants you to do than just that. So there was definitely a learning curve um, for a couple months working with her and um, seeing kind of what she wanted to learn. And, you know, me, me basically saying, I'll teach you what I know. I'll try to try to see what you need help learning, where those gaps are, and fill in what I can for you. So um, it's always an experience. And, you know, I don't know how other teachers feel, but sometimes especially with new students, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety and nervousness going into meeting a new student and figuring out, okay, you know, how do I make them feel comfortable right off the bat, but also feel like we're going to get stuff done. So yeah. um, I think if I've got a student, you know, I've have a few that are in, in public schools, 
um, over Floyd Central and, and things or, or practicing for auditions. And, um, you know, if they, they need a kick in the butt a little bit more, then I'm, I'm going to do that. But for some of my, you know, older adult students who come in and want to learn, if they don't practice during the week, that's their money. They're it's spending their on money. lessons, you know, <laughs> they know what they're getting out of it. And, and, uh, you know, that is, that is what it is. So one question I was, as I was listening to some of this, uh, your, your music was when you recorded, did you record all the instruments? Um, most of them. So on, uh, Door Not Fear, which we'll get to at the, the end of the program, I had a buddy of mine that I went to L with, Eli Rains, came in and recorded the um, upright bass part on that. I don't play or own an upright bass uh, well enough to <laughs> yeah, well. play well enough to, you know, want to be on there. Same thing kind of goes for cello. But the, the violin parts, mandolin parts, guitar, bass guitar, um, I recorded all on that, on that album. And then, oh, octave mandolin. So, yes, you know, having all those different, different instruments... It's it, in some ways it does it. It's so much more fun to play with other musicians. Yeah. But um, in this case, it was just easier and more practical to to put together exactly what I wanted in that moment. Oh, sweet. Let's go ahead and listen to the tune. Let's yeah. uh, let's let's listen to uh, "Take It Away." Tell us about that one. All right. So "Take It Away" was 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 one I wrote. I was thinking about on the way over here, a little over two years ago, and um, I was just you know when the pandemic hit back in in, in March. Um, of 2020, I had a few students who I um, was able to teach virtually. I think at the time I had about 15 or 16 and 11 of those decided to go the Zoom route, which was new for all of us. So I was really thankful for that. But for the most part, I had plenty of time to just sit around. It was April. It was beautiful outside. Sit around and write music. And you're kind of not sure what's going to happen in a moment like that. Um, there's still some uncertainty out of that, but I feel like we've got most of that behind us. And so I'm just sitting here saying, okay, how how long do I need to hang on to this? How long do I need to worry about what's going to happen? And when am I going to give this all to God and and not worry about it? You know, obviously approach everything with with the caution and the the common sense and the wisdom that we have, but just kind of figuring out like how do I how do I you know how does this get taken away from me? This feelings it's it's kind of I couldn't find a good title that I really like, so that's what I settled on because take it away almost makes it sound like. Uh, yeah, derogatory or something like it's something you hate, but it was more of yeah. just a feeling of like, hey, take this this pain and this um, you know, this burden that I have on me away from me. And you know, there's also all the stuff going on at the time with um, the song was sort of written. I started it in April, kind of had that little little riff going on and some of the fills, and then it sat for a while. And I'd we'd we'd go um, at the time, me and my wife. Um, who was pregnant with our first kid at the time. And we would go up to some parks and just enjoy the time sitting outside with nature. So I'd take my instruments with me, take my notebook with me and just kind of write down stuff stream of conscious. So the lyrics as they ended up kind of came from three or four different pages of, of just abstract things that I'm like, how can I put this together in a song? Got my rhyming dictionary out. What words will work here that'll fit there? <laughs> yep. Um, Been there. Yeah. So it's, you know, for me, just that and also what was going on at the time with... Um, all the Black Lives Matter movement and the the racial injustice and that kind of coming to a head and thinking about, you know, everybody's perspectives. It's, I think that it's, it's so, it's not a good idea to always sit here and be like, oh, my, I, my way is the only right way. And nobody would admit to necessarily thinking that way. But I think trying to stay open-minded and try to put myself in the shoes of as many different people as I can, um, whether that be family or friends or just seeing the perspectives of people online through social media, um, was kind of what was going through my head. So 
there's a lot of good lyrics in there. Um, there's some really cool mandolin stuff in there. I, I follow uh, Sierra Hall a lot. She's oh, yeah. one of my She's favorite. Amazing. Yeah, favorite musicians. She's actually going to be um, uh, here yeah. for, for Bur- uh, Burp. Um, Bourbon and Beyond? Yeah, I'll say Bourbon and Broke. Is, but is that a Friday or Saturday? She's going to be here Sunday. And all of a sudden, Molly so, Tuttle's going to be here Saturday, I think, yeah. too. So, so Sierra, I, I, I wanted to see, you know, because we've we've talked quite a bit through Instagram and, and some in person when I've seen her. And I was like, hey, you want to get lunch or something? She's like, well, I'm playing in Kansas uh, with Bela the night before. Wow. And then I'm coming <laughs> here just in time for my set and then going down to Nashville to rest for two days before the rest of my fall tour. So I'm yeah. like, hey, I understand it. I'm glad you're busy. I I would love to be able to tour and stuff like that, but honestly, I don't know if I can keep up with this, that schedule. So, but hopefully, you hear you know some of those those influences in in this track. you consider your main instrument um violin violin i still think that that's that's kind of out front um i love using the mandolin as a as an accompaniment when i'm singing okay um i probably don't play it the most like uh when i'm playing at the the farmer's market um that's what kind of been my regular gig over at, at new albany over the last year or so most of the songs that i do i've probably got about 80 to 90 songs now so a couple hours extra from what i need but most of the stuff probably fits the best with guitar because that just sort of is the the best thing when it's just you and an instrument. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that I like putting mandolin with. Songs like um, Lean On Me and uh, Five Foot Two, Eyes of Blue. Um, I did a version of Thriller last year with just mandolin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, doing some different <laughs> stuff that you wouldn't expect with mandolin being that um, that instrument. But a lot of cases, you know, most pop songs you cover, the guitar's kind of the, the best one. But... Who knows? I might switch it up. You know, it's, it's kind of the fun thing of playing all the different instruments. But yeah, I'd say violin beyond that is is the instrument I'm, I've been playing the longest. And I'm the most comfortable with just sitting down and, and jamming in a lot of settings. But um, 
mandolin and guitar are, are close behind. This thought just came into my head because we've had so many musicians come on here and we always start with the same question, asking them to go back to their early memories of music. And so often it's church. Oh yeah. You know where they get their start. So I was thinking as much teaching as you've done, Jacob. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're teaching somebody one-on-one individually once a week or whatever, you're influencing them as a musician. You're introducing them to more music and helping them grow as musicians. But how do you think you're impacting people with music or introducing the music in the church compared to as a teacher? Yeah, I mean that's that's really interesting because I've been I've been going to to LifeBridge where I, I play it now, I guess since two thousand and five or two thousand seven, I forget. Seventeen years, whatever that would be. I'm not very good with math. <laughs> I can only count to four, right? I'm a musician. Um but I played violin there for a bit, and then I've been leading worship since 2009, which is crazy. That's been 13 years or whatever now. So, um, I definitely think there's there's an impact there. Um, sometimes I'll get to do special music, and I'll get to share some of these songs that I've written. And I think that there's a definitely a, a personal connection with um, myself and and the congregation. But I do think just music in general. Um, sometimes we'll have you know people in our church. Our church is mainly. Um, an elderly church, but we've got several couples our age. We've got um, a bunch of grandkids and, and stuff that come around. And so I like being able to see their eyes light up when they see me play the violin or if they're upstairs for something, um, a special service, and they get to experience that and hear that. But yeah, I mean, that's going back to, to thinking about it. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I don't have as memories, but my mom or dad tell me about that happened or stuff I see on VHS, you know, that was recorded when I was little that I don't actively remember, but I have those, those, that past because I can see that. And times when I was too young to really know the words, but I would still stand up in the pew at the Feast of Tabernacles and be waving my my arms, conducting the choir, Mm -hmm. imitating um, the choir director there. um, You know, so yeah, I think that, I think that there's a a fascination and an inspiration that comes with being in any musical setting or any live performance setting where something that you can can play or sing can touch somebody. Um, and I guess that's why I try not to think too much about, you know, if I'm at the market and I'm playing a Maroon 5 song, you know, somebody may have never heard that before, but somebody else, that might be their favorite song. So it's hard. You can't second guess, you know, in the 10 seconds that somebody's walking by hearing you, what they're going to want to hear. Um, so you just kind of, you choose what you think is you do well, and you try to do it to the best of your abilities and execute it in that moment. And, you know, do it with a smile, do it with eye contact. And, you know, sometimes you don't get anything in response. And sometimes... You know, I get I get decent tips down there, but I think the the thing I enjoy the most is is talking and having conversations with people. Um, even if that stops me for playing for five or ten minutes, but just hearing what their experiences are, seeing all my different instruments and kind of explaining that. Um, one of my one of my videos that I put up on Instagram a couple of weeks ago that just for whatever reason got several thousand views within like the first hour. Never had that happen on Instagram before. Um, <laughs> but it was of this little dude dancing while I was I was playing some stuff on mandolin. I was playing uh, Drifters Under the Boardwalk on mandolin and just jamming. And this little guy was just dancing out front. And I love seeing that. I love seeing the, you know, the, the energy. And um, I think there's something powerful about 
church, regardless of your your spiritual beliefs of having everyone come together and you know sing with a purpose of worship and 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 being together. So I think that's you know I don't know if that entirely answers your question, but I, I think music in itself is a motivator and an inspiration for so many people. Yeah, it's so just many a, ways. yeah, it's just a thought, you know, going back to past podcast, you know, I just, I'm, I'm sure there's some people that through your church will someday be, be uh, saying that that's what they remember as their start in music, you know, yeah. something they did there. Something that I was kind of, and Brad even mentioned before you got here, he's like, you know, I think maybe all this stuff is uh, religious leaning or Christian based. It is lyrically, is that, uh, is that true or do you kind of, just write and see where it lands. How how do you approach actually lyric writing? Um, yes and yes, I guess. Um, <laughs> sometimes it seems like the easiest thing to do is to to write from a faith based perspective. And you know, I I love love songs. I love songs that have all kinds of different meanings. And I think "Take It Away" was my attempt to kind of get outside of that and say, you know, like one of my favorite favorite lyrics in there is, you know. It seems as if our place of birth shouldn't determine what we're worth. And it's so true that, you know, we can't control what we're born into, but yet so much of our life is affected by the family we're born into and, you know, the circumstances and the economy and the time, you know, there's so yeah. much, so many factors. And so, you know, for me, it was just a, a, an attempt to be like address some of the 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 political and social issues, but also you know, my faith just keeps kind of creeping in and, and, you know, because that's such a big part of who I am and so much ingrained in me. I think that for me, my music um, with Joy Not Fear, it uses a lot of, um, it pulls a lot from scripture. And, um, but the beginning of it is just, it's very sort of virtuosic. It's got a lot of fancy frills and stuff in it. And I think it's a really cool sounding texture that, you know, if I go up and I start singing a hymn, or I go up and start singing a worship song, there may be someone that's just like, oh, I don't want, I don't care about this, I don't, and just tunes me out. But if I go up and I start playing something that really catches your attention and just pull you in little by little, maybe it, it gives them a perspective and sheds a light on what it means to me to be a Christian, what it means you know, to walk as a, as a person of faith. Because I think until, you, until you're in that perspective, it's difficult to know, and everybody, I'm sure everybody's experience is different. Everybody, you know, that's why there's so many d different denominations and so many different beliefs. But I think that people have a lot of assumptions about everything, not just religion, but, you know, different things, cultures and, and whatnot. And um, I think until you walk in those shoes and you, you, you hear those experiences. So I think for me, it's a lot of telling my, my story through, through the music. So yeah, I do think that faith plays a big part of it. Sometimes it's just easier. I guess you you grow up and you hear so many Christian songs and sometimes it's easier to just sit down and write and those words and those lyrics kind of come through come through you. Um, some of the stuff on my first album that I did, um, and it's not to say I'm trying to get away from writing Christian music. That's never never my approach. But I think it it, it was kind of difficult to to sort of branch outside of that and say, okay, what else can I write about? Because mm -hmm. as, as a Christian, you know, our priority is is Christ and, and Jesus. And so if nothing is as important as that, then of course, nothing's going to be as meaningful and nothing is going to be as easy to write about. 
You used the title earlier, uh, worship leader. What, what is that? Are you do you do you lead the music yes. or are you the minister? Yeah, so I, I lead I lead the music sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes I'll do some prayers and things, but for the most part, um, Brother Dave, our 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 pastor, he's also our, our pianist in our in our band, and he'll he'll do most of the work for me. I'm I'm pretty blessed to not have to do a whole lot more than than what I do. Although I would be willing to take on that challenge if I you know ever had to be a choir director or something like that. That would be that would be a great experience, but. Mainly, I, I just I just come in. I will play some instrumental stuff on violin during communion, do a prelude before um, with our with our band, and really it's just kind of leading the worship set and doing special music, and then doing the invitation at the end if they ask. And I actually lead with mandolin most of the time. The way our our band, we've got a um, bass player. My dad plays drums, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Dave plays piano. My mom and sometimes my wife sing with us. And the mandolin just kind of has a nice little spot in between all that. Um, where it fits out, you know, sticks in there really nicely. So um, that's that's what I do a lot of times. Sometimes I'll switch over to my my octave mandolin or mandola or you know something to give it a little bit of different voice. But I use the mandolin family a lot when I'm leading worship. So what do you do? <laughs> it sounds like a, a lot of your time and a lot of your life revolves around music. So what do you do when you're not being a music therapist, not teaching music, not leading music at church? What are some of the non-music things you do? Um, yeah, <laughs> I sleep. <laughs> but yeah, then you know this actually, you know, kind of leads over into our our, our next little tune we have here, um, and that's the song "Without You," which uh, my in the balance album that I put out earlier this year is all original music. So first track was "Take It Away," which we just heard. Um, the second track was an instrumental that I also wrote during the pandemic um, that I. Originally called Titleless Tune, and I had some folks on my YouTube channel name it and ended up coming up with Sage Dance. That was a really cool tune to put together because John Reichman, um, mandolinist from Vancouver, and uh, really just famous and, and popular in, in bluegrass circles and old-time folk circles, uh-huh. uh, cut the mandolin break on that for me. So that was really cool uh, to put that together and have How'd a— that yeah, I just I just reached out to him on Instagram. I reached out to uh, I reached out to Sierra first, and she said I would love to do it. But I've literally got a million things going on, which is very Sierra like, yeah. um, because she had her tour dropping and then the artist workhorse. And so then I reached out to John Reichman next, and he gave me a price, and I sent him over the stuff, and he made it happen. He's very down to earth, very uh, very humble guy, and um, I was really excited to put that together. I mean, it's got a. Um, a 1920s Lloyd Lore mandolin recorded on there. So it's it's pretty insane. Um, and then the track after that, I, I think I can't remember. Yeah, I think I think without you is the next track. I, I debated whether what order I wanted to put these in, but um, it's really about my son, Christopher. So, I think we got the weather alert siren. Is that what that I is? I think that is. I, I think we got the test. There it is. Oh, yeah. So if you hear that, that's uh we're 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 next to the oh so this is Tuesday so it must be noon. Yep, it's noon. Yep, so they're yeah. test they're testing the uh, weather alert. So I've said I was thinking I saw you too, Neil. I was like, what is that? <laughs> no, I heard something. I thought it was a dog whistle for my wife. I thought she was calling me home. <laughs> so that should only last one minute. Well, we uh, <laughs> yeah, over at the farmers market, we hear that uh, I think the second second or first. Saturday, uh, they test that one over in New Albany. So I always know when it's my time to be done because that horrible noise comes on. <laughs> All right, yeah. let's listen, man. I got sidetracks. We had the air conditioner and the uh, weather test oh, come on at the same man. time. I'm like, man, we had total silence, and now we got all kinds of background noise. It's like noise. the Sony commercial when it gets hit with all the sound in the face. All right, here we go. Without you. Without you. 
this world Much to my concern I didn't think that I was ready For the things I'd have to learn I didn't think that I would be prepared By the time of that curfew But when I thought that I might lose you With all of me I knew That it might take some time To figure out Who I'm supposed to be And what I'm supposed to do But I know I'm blessed Without a doubt Now I'm relearning how to live Because I can't live without you sounds expected and perhaps it sounds cliche but some things in our lives we can't predict ahead of time and when you smile and laugh at me there's no doubt in my mind that it might take some time to figure out who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do So yeah, going back to like what you said earlier, you know, that was one that I really had a lot of um, inspiration aside from, or, you know, not just my, my religious kind of thing, but as I got down there to that, uh, you know, that bridge, it just kind of creeps its way in. It's like, you know, look at what God has done in my life. You know, he's put a wonderful um, partner with me, with my wife, Kara, and you know, there's a lot in that song. Um, when Christopher was born, so he was an IVF baby. Um, we tried, uh, you know, we've been married since 2015 and didn't look like we were going to be able to have kids on our own without some assistance. And that was kind of something that I struggled with of saying like, you know, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And, and you know, don't want to take things out of God's hands. And it was kind of something that I was not sure how I felt about it. But now that he's here, you know, it's, 
it's he, he's a real human being. He's a real kid, and and you know, oh, there's no way to get in around. Vitro might have been put there for you. Yeah. So, but we went through the IVF process and actually found out like less than a week before COVID hit that we were going to be parents. So then it's like, oh boy. So you go back and you listen to a lot of the album and take it away, and you know, I we knew that we were going to be having a kid sometime around November of 2020, and so. You wonder what's going to happen in the next eight, you know, months before this this all happens. And uh, when he was born, um, you know, everything's w- kind of going on in the operating room. And next thing I know, I hear them counting for chest compressions. I'm like, what is going on? So, you know, it scares the hell out of me. Oh, and wow. I'm just like, what? Not realizing that, you know, there's, this is like a 10% thing that happens. It's not, you know, yeah. the most rare thing. But, you know, at that moment, she kind of are just like praying and, you know, hoping for for the best. And you realize how much it means to you because I always thought I would be a dad. But then when you think about all the stuff, you know, I'm so ingrained in my music and so ingrained in staying busy with so much stuff. And you, it's kind of scary. It's like, am I ready for this? Do I really, is this really going to happen? But then once you realize that everything that you've gone through or that my wife has gone through, you know, I, I haven't went through nearly what she did throughout the pregnancy, <laughs> of that. course. But, I don't think any of us you know, are ever ready either. No. <laughs> but, Especially you know, when you realize all that's on the, on the, you know, it could be gone. It's, you realize you can't live, live without him. And, and fortunately he was, he was fine. And, um, you know, Kara at the time was kind of under the anesthesia. And so she didn't really know she was real drowsy and didn't know what was going on. Um, but I got to hold hold the little guy, which on my on the in the balance album, that's kind of the album cover is a picture that was taken about an hour after he was born. So um and now we are actually expecting our second. Hey! So um, completely natural, completely surprise, a uh, big, big surprise for us. Um, right around the same time. So Kara got to bring Christopher, my first home on her birthday, uh, November 10th, 2020. He was born on the sixth, had to stay in the hospital for a couple days. And uh, now this other baby is due right around the same time. So yeah. I guess we're going to have have a season of holidays before Christmas and everything <laughs> even gets here. Well, that's um, a nice nice age spread, too. Yeah, yeah. My brother and I are born the same day, three years apart. Is wow. that right? What's, yep. I know, I know. Is uh, the anniversary like nine months before that or something? <laughs> What's going on? And close on? to the same time of day. I think that's wild. I don't think I'm making that up. There's it's like one, one's like eight oh five a.m. I know I'm. I know I'm not making the day up. They're, they're I'm talking about the, the time. Right, yeah, December fourth. I was born December fourth. He was born December fourth. Three years apart. That's wild. Yeah, I've got a mandolin friend that her her and her brother have the same birthday as well. So that's it, it's it's more common than you would think. Because people celebrate stuff at the same time. I guess so, man. There's a reason. There's a reason. Right. So, uh, Jacob, our yep. listeners that want to follow you a little more closely, what's what's out there for them to go see and go get? Awesome. So, yeah, I've got stuff on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Jacob Head Music, H-E-A-D. Um, cool name, I guess, until you're trying to name your kid and then you find all a bunch of names that just don't work with head or don't sound good with head. Um, we really liked Oliver, but all of her head does not sound very good. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Jacob Head Music, I've got... Try to keep my socials pretty consistent with some of the same stuff up there, but, you know, there are some stuff up on YouTube that isn't necessarily on Instagram and 
Obviously, there's not a bunch of pictures up on YouTube like there are on Instagram. I haven't gotten to the 1,000 followers mark on on YouTube, which I, I don't. I don't guess. Uh, I don't guess you guys have two. So you all yet. need to not need to uh, follow their page on on YouTube so they can get to a yeah. thousand. Yeah, we're working at it. Posting we're, some good content. We never we're approaching 800. Uh, hey, we're getting there, man. Yeah. So go subscribe right now to Jacob Head Music and Top Hill Recording. Yeah. One shot, one mic or Top Hill Recording? One, oh, yeah. One shot, one mic, one song is the YouTube. Yeah. 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 There you go. And it does matter. You know, and we, yeah. we've, we've talked about that a bunch on here. I don't think people realize that, you know, things happen for you when you get to a thousand subscribers because still, you know, we go on, we just, we just went over 50,000 views on one shot, but we're still at like 788 subscribers right about right. about 70 last time i looked 78% of our views come from non subscribers right. yeah. people just you know don't think about hitting that subscribe button and i never did until until we started a youtube channel i never thought about subscribing to people and what it meant and why no. it mattered yeah you know, and that's yeah. what i try to tell people at the, at the market when i'm not singing you know i've got all my social stuff out there and you know, if I could get 10, 10 or 20 people from every farmer's market, you know, I'd be, or every gig that I do, you know, that would be great. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's tough sledding, but I feel like you, that's what makes me more thankful, especially going through the pandemic year that we did to have that live performance opportunities to have those gigs, um, and be able to connect with people in person again. And I'll tell you, that's one thing I'll never take for granted. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody will. And just to clarify, so if, if you know, when you go on to one shot, one mic, one song, and you're watching videos, you come across ads, and once we get to a thousand subscribers, we will become, I think they call a YouTube partner, and we can get a little bit of the revenue from those ads. So that's why it matters. Yeah. Yeah. And Neil, you know what, man? What's up, buddy? So, <laughs> you know, we've been struggling with, we've thought I've just had bad mics, bad cords, and we couldn't figure <laughs> it out. So I finally narrowed it down. It was the channel strip, man. Dude, yeah, that I, only I, took I, how I got, many episodes? Well, I got in there, so, you know, bought bought this new mic, and I got on there, and it still <laughs> didn't sound right. And I, and I was like, what in the world's going on? So I got, I pulled out the rack and unhooked the wires from your channel strip and put it into mine, and it sounded great. And then, so I hooked it back to the others and it sounded bad. So I got to send that channel strip back. How long is the turnaround? To get it back? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how long it'll be. be I, I'm, I just started a process today, but, so, you know, I've just got it hooked through the the mic preamp and, and a, pl uh, a plug-in channel strip now and it's it's doing fine. So yep. we'll be able to make do. Hey, man, no cracks. <laughs> <laughs> but Jacob, man, I appreciate you coming on and talking with us. It's been great. Yeah, yeah appreciate awesome. you guys having me up. And we're going to go out with Joy Not Fear. We've talked about that one a little bit, but but go ahead and tell us a little more about that before we play it. Yeah, I think just kind of going along with the theme of the album, this one, uh, I'd kind of started on it. And and um, like I said, that at church, sometimes I do special music, which is basically where you get an you know, opportunity at the beginning of the service and then right before the sermon to just play a song of some sort. And uh, I had been selected to do that on the calendar and... I was like, well, this is an opportunity as good as ever to finish this song. So I finished it the night before I performed it. I'd already kind of wrote the introduction, just fiddling around um, on the mandola, which is the um, kind of the tenor version, sort of like the viola in an orchestra is a fifth lower than the violin. Well, the mandola is a fifth lower than the mandolin. And I had the intro. I don't, know, had I don't this, know if I've ever seen one. Yeah, it's well, you've you're, seen it. I've got one up here right right here. So okay. it won't do any good for the podcast because they're not seeing anything, <laughs> but you'll see it here in a little bit. And... Uh, so yeah, so I I kind of put two and two together because I had this song that was worked in the same key and kind of made them made them work. Kind of went to uh, scriptures and said, you know, what is what does the Bible say about perseverance and just running this race? Because this was 
2021, the beginning of 2021 in January, we went, just went through kind of, well, kind of getting into the winter, I guess. We hadn't been through it all the way, but there were some things that were were opening up, but the next thing you know, there were things that were shutting down. And it was kind of like, you know, are we ever going to get out of this pandemic? And yeah, again, saying, okay, tomorrow is going to worry about itself. The sun will come up and we can choose to feel joyful about that and hopeful about that. And that's not saying we throw caution to the wind. That's saying that we continue to be diligent in everything that we do and, you know, the the sanitizers and the mask and the social distancing and all those things that have helped get us to this point, but that we also stop dwelling in this and that we trust and that we're going to get out of this and that we're going to move forward. So that was kind of my approach with that. Um, and like I said, I had my my buddy Eli Rains from from UofL. He and I went together and we're uh, went there together and we're in the orchestra together. And um, he was able to to kind of play the the bass part on there. It has a cool little bass solo. And and he and his wife Courtney, who is a um, the orchestra director over at Highland Hills Middle School over in New Albany, um, Floyd Knobs area, she played violin with me on my album release concert for that. So that was that was a lot of fun back in January. It feels like a, a lifetime ago now because this year's <laughs> been so crazy. But um, yeah, I feel like it's 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 a great song with a great message and just you know sometimes life has been compared in a lot of ways to to race and it just you know there's all different ways to approach a race there's all different types of races and you hope that you know for most of us that life is is a marathon because that means that it's a long race that means that we get to be here and do as much as we can and impact as much people as we can and and have as much joy in our life as we can so um that's that was kind of my my process behind that and i, I feel like it it turned out really well, and hopefully here soon I'll be able to get back in the um, the writing pool, so to speak, and and write out a few new songs. Like I said, I've got a second little one on the way. So I pretty much the first album was motivated by the pandemic and the birth of my first son. So I guess I owe it to my second to get another album out there. <laughs> you better, man. Second. I don't know when I'm going to write for it because I tell you, you know, as musicians. We're told from a very early age the importance of practice and how you balance practice with schoolwork and fun and playtime. And although I don't have schoolwork, I tell you, it's it's hard to figure out how am I going to split myself, you know, and love each of my kids just as much, spend yeah. just as much time with them, and also spend as much time with my family and my Lord and my music. I don't, I don't know. I yeah. guess... I guess I'm uh, I'm gonna have to go and, and get Hermione Granger's Time Turner or something nah, to be man. able to go back and your, your clone music, myself. Your music will suffer, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Second child never gets as many pictures as the first. Maybe not as much attention, but they do get to do everything a lot earlier and get a lot more yeah. freedoms earlier. Oh my gosh! Yeah, try having three. The third one. Whatever you want, kid. You just do it. <laughs> Call me if you need uh, bail money. <laughs> All right, Jacob. Thanks again, man. Thanks, I appreciate Jacob. you guys. Here it is. Joy, not fear.
29 was certainly profound I'd hardly reached it And the whole world shut down It's frustrating to feel cemented in time But I know Yes, I Life is precious from the minute to the year We really don't know how much longer we'll have here And like a vapor it briefly appears and then vanishes It vanishes So let us run the race Let us persevere let us stand as one, as our hearts draw near And let us keep the faith until all is clear For tomorrow the sun will rise with joy not fear Why should I worry what the future brings? For tomorrow will worry about itself Instead I'll offer up a prayer of thanksgiving For my home and for my health And finally I'll think about those things that are noble, true, and right And I'll recall all the memories that brought me joy To make it through the night till the morn So let us run the race, let us persevere Let us stand as one, as our hearts draw near For tomorrow the sun will rise with joy, not fear. I'm stuck here in this place. How will I escape? I will run the race, I will persevere, I will stand as one with my family near, and I will keep the faith until all is clear, for tomorrow the sun will rise with joy not fear.